Welcome to Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or goals. Today, we're going to talk about a concept called the equity risk premium. It seems like a pretty academic concept, but we think it is useful to understand and add context when or when you're investing. We hope that this understanding will help you make better investing decisions. So, Mark? Yes, Shani? <laughs> you just re- you sent an email right before we uh, started this podcast recording. You've planned an event, a team event. I, I did plan a team event. Mm-hmm. It was your suggestion. You said that we should have, you were talking about at your old job that you had a multicultural- We don't talk about my old job though. Okay. You, you talk about your old job a lot, as in it was better than my current job, things like that. But you said that you had a multicultural potluck and mm-hmm. you said that you think we should do that for our team. So I sent out an invite. For well, that. I was telling the story that we had this multicultural potluck and- um, it was a graduate job, so it was a lot of 20-somethings um, that lived out of home in share houses, and it was just a table full of, like, store-bought Anzac bickies. So, <laughs> Yeah, we're hoping for something better. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see if we have any cooks on the team. Yeah, we'll see how we go. So, Mark, what are you going to make? Because obviously the U.S. is very diverse. Well, I mean, I was born in Taiwan, so I'll probably bring something Taiwanese. Okay. But no, I don't know. I'll make something from the U.S., maybe something Southern. I'm not sure. There's a lot of considerations, right? Like, you know, (laughs) you have to make something that obviously a large team can all try. Mm -hmm. Um, You need something that's relatively easy to transport. Like, there's there's a lot to think about. Yeah, for sure. I mean... And they can get warmed up and it's still decent, you know? Yeah. I really like your mac and cheese. So if you can make that work... The one that I make for Thanksgiving. Yes. I think I can probably make that work. If All that right. makes you happy, I could make like mac and cheese balls out of it. And okay. then they'd be easy to give out to everyone, mm-hmm. easy to warm up. Love that idea. Okay. But have a think. I will. I will. Okay. <laughs> uh, so for this episode, we'll start by defining the equity risk premium. And then we'll talk about some research out of the NYU that provides an interesting perspective for investors. So Mark, why don't you start us off with the definition? Okay. Well, we need to go back and think about what investing is at its core. So we are exchanging risk for returns. And as we've said many times, the risk we are talking about is volatility or how much an investment bounces around. So the more volatile the investment, the more return we should expect. That is why shares change in price more than cash, but also will have higher expected returns over the long term. But the volatility is also a function of losing your money because companies can go out of business after all. We generally use cash as an example because it's easy for people to understand it. But in reality, when we're talking about investing, we're actually talking about bonds. And we start with US Treasury bonds, which are considered risk-free. They're considered risk-free because there is no risk that you will not get your money back. That's because a government that issues bonds in their own currency and who also controls the printing of money can always pay it back. And if you are guaranteed to get your principal back on the bond, that means that the return you'll get on investing in treasury bonds is the interest that you receive. Therefore, logically, the interest rate on treasury bonds is the risk-free rate. And that is it. The risk-free rate is the rate of return you receive with zero risk. So the real question is, what return can we expect if we start taking on risk? 
If a government bond issued by the US is considered risk-free because you're guaranteed to get your money back, then the first kind of risk we can look at is if you buy a bond and aren't guaranteed to get your money back. As an example, we can use a corporate bond which is issued by a company. There is a risk that you won't get your money back even with the safest company in the world because they can't actually issue currency like a government. The difference between a government bond and a corporate bond represents the additional return you're getting from taking on the risk that the company may not pay you back. Then we can turn to shares. As we said earlier, we invest in shares because they have higher expected returns. We take on risk and expect to be compensated for taking on that risk. That compensation is in higher returns. The extra return we expect for investing in shares is called the equity risk premium. We take on risk and we expect to earn a premium for that risk. So when you think about investing in shares, we have the risk-free rate. And then on top of that, we have an equity risk premium. And if you think about it a bit and follow it along, you will start to realize that the equity risk premium is not some abstract number. It is the price of risk. And the price of risk is just as important as the price of anything else. If I walk into a store and I'm looking at a pair of jeans, there's a price I will buy them for and a price that will cause me to walk away. What is that? Just curious. I actually have no idea. I can't remember (laughs) the last time I bought jeans, but I have this problem, as you know, where the pocket in my jeans like fell apart. So I can't I can't put anything in my pocket or it falls to the floor. So I need Mark's to buy new jeans. The solution to this was buying new jeans, but didn't consider an alterations play. <laughs> you said you would help me with that. And a week ago, you said to bring my jeans to work. And a week ago, I brought them and they're still in my locker. It was raining. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, back to, back to my example, which I will soon have to do because my jeans are in my work locker. <laughs> You walk into a store, there's a price that you'll buy something for and a price that will cause you to walk away. As an investor, I am taking on risk to earn a return, but the level of return that I will receive matters. That price matters and it'll tell me if I'm going to buy shares or if I'm going to walk away. Now, like most things in investing, it is pretty easy to measure the historic equity risk premium and impossible to know what it will be in the future. If we want to know what it is historically, we can go back and look at the returns of shares and the returns of US Treasury bonds. The difference is the equity risk premium, as it is the extra return that's earned on shares versus risk-free bonds. If we look at US share returns versus US government bond returns since 1926, we can see that shares returned around 10% and bonds returned around 5 to 6%. That gives us an equity risk premium of around 4 to 5% meaning that taking on the extra risk associated with shares got you to 4 to 5% extra a year in returns. And that is a nice perspective, but the question is what it will be in the future. This is where we're going to look at the research out of the NYU. Aswath Damodarian is a professor of finance at the Stern School of Business at New York University. Aswath estimates risk premiums across lots of different markets. And in his view, the traditional way that equity risk premiums were estimated didn't make a lot of sense because it was simply just doing what we just did, looking at historical returns and just assuming that the past will represent the future. And we know this doesn't make sense because returns are different if you invest at different points of time. You buy at the bottom of the market or you buy at the top of the market, returns will be different. 
which means that equity risk premiums are different at different times. And Aswath was trying to determine the best way of estimating the equity risk premium with the criteria of success being the predictive power of approximating what is later the observable risk premium. And if that sounds like a mouthful, don't worry, I'm going to make Mark explain this. But the approach that he has come up with is to estimate the equity risk premium by taking two observable points and solving for the premium. The two observable points are the index level or price of the overall market, and then the estimates from analysts for future dividends and future share buybacks. Now, these concepts may seem a bit complicated, so why don't you explain them, Mark? Well, Shani, this goes back to what is important to investors when buying a share, and that is the future cash flows that are generated by the company. And the way we value a share is to estimate those future cash flows and discount them back to the present. So in this case, dividends and share buybacks are being used to approximate the cash flows generated by companies because they are both uses of cash. The estimation approach is taking analyst estimates of dividends and cash flows for five years and afterwards just using the growth rate of the overall economy. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. And stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. So what he is essentially doing here is solving for the discount rate that is used to discount future cash flows back to the present value of a share, or in this case, a whole market. That discount rate represents the expected future returns on shares. Now, this is a bit complicated, and please don't be concerned if it goes over your head. The most important thing in this episode is understanding the concept of an equity risk premium and the concept that as an investor, we are taking on risk and we're getting paid a return to do that. So if you understand that so far, then you are doing great. We'll build on that during the rest of the episode so that you can understand how to use this concept as an investor. But first talk a little bit more about these estimates of the equity risk premium. So by estimating for the implied expected return of shares going forward, Aswath can solve for the equity risk premium because he knows that returns on shares consist of the risk-free rate and the equity risk premium. And the risk-free rate is, of course, observable because we know what yield government bonds are trading. So at the end of 2021, he estimates the equity risk premium at 4.24%. The question mark is if this is good or bad. Well, as we said earlier, if we go back and look historically, it's right in the range that we've seen, which is between 4 and 5. The problem, of course, is when we add the risk-free rate to that equity risk premium to get the expected return on shares. In this case, the total is 5.75%, which I would suggest is way below what most investors expect. And while that return may sound disappointing, it is also pretty consistent with what our own team is saying about what they project returns to be when we go forward. The real question is how should this information be used by an investor? 
Well, the first thing to note is that this is a bit of an academic exercise, but the underlying concept still matters. Investing means taking on risk, and that is a good thing because, as we said, the risk and return are related. If you take on no risk, then you get the risk-free rate of return. If you take on more risk, you should get a higher rate of return than the risk-free rate. And this is where we need to once again go back to the sources of returns and think about the impact of valuation on future returns. High valuation levels, which include lower dividend yields, mean lower future returns, which means a lower equity risk premium. You're simply not being compensated as much with future expected returns, given the level of risk you're taking on. You have a lower margin of safety for the risks that are associated with investing in equities. And there's a lot of them. There's company-specific risks that relate to the products and services that each company sells. There are, of course, their competitors, and there's the markets that they operate in. You diversify away company-specific risks through a well-diversified portfolio. Then you face overall economic risk, which can include the level of interest rates, the level of inflation, and the growth of the economy as a whole. Then you have geopolitical risks like the war in Ukraine. And you have completely out-of-the-blue risks like a global pandemic or, I guess right now, just simply a new variant. And we've just thrown out a bunch of different terms, expected future returns, margin of safety, and equity risk premium. But they're all related. Markets trading at high valuation levels and individual shares trading at high valuation levels mean that you're being compensated less for the risk you're taking on, less for all those unknowns that Mark just listed out. And we've seen this happen. As inflation climbed and interest rates started going up, and we saw a new variant emerge, and Russia started a war against the Ukraine, we've seen big drops in shares with the highest valuation levels. One point at the beginning of the week of March 14th, one in five shares that traded on the NASDAQ were down more than 75%. And that's a pretty remarkable number. For those former high flyers, the risk and return balance was way off for investors that bought in at the peak. They were just not getting compensated for the risk they were taking on, and there was no margin of safety for anything going wrong, anything with the world and anything with the economy. And just remember that despite human nature making us think the opposite, the market actually becomes more risky when share prices have gone up a lot and not less risky. So stay realistic about the returns that you bake into your plans and continue to invest according to a plan. Don't deviate and chase returns because a certain part of the market has done really well lately, because it's also likely the riskiest part of the market. Well, thank you very much. That was a short episode, which I think Mm -hmm. everyone can appreciate. I know Will appreciates it. (laughs) Um, But thank you once again. We would love ratings and comments in your podcast app. And if you have any suggestions in the show notes is my email address. So just send through an email. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.